0: Drugs, please.
1: Hi, my name and you North I just had a profiling session with CNote and I really loved it. Uh, I actually have been struggling for a long time, hesitating between INTP and INFP. So getting an expert point of view from outside was critical for me. Uh, I really felt in good hands. Uh, I was able to get rid of any doubts I had. I was able to ask any questions, and that was really a game changer for me. Uh, Overall, I'm really happy with how the session was set up and very happy with the results as well. So I highly recommend working with him um, and I want you to thank him again. It was totally worth it. Sign up for your own one-on-one personality profiling session at dopamine.life slash profiling session today. Hello there, C-Node here, and welcome to Dopamine, the show that is all about personal empowerment and helping you unlock your potential. On the show, I've been kind of moving towards, either here on, uh, on, on the podcast or on YouTube, I'm kind of moving towards this idea of dynamic personality. Now, it's not a type system like Enneagram or... Um, myers-briggs or or even looking at spiral dynamics or other gross systems people look at like big five stuff like that but dynamic personality is more of a philosophy and it's a philosophy around how to use this understanding of personality type systems because it's one thing to persistently diagnose what we're dealing with and who we are and where we are and what we're experiencing it's another thing to be able to use these as tools in our everyday life and to get a sense of of where we've been and where we're going a lot of our personal growth involves this idea of transcending and including meaning that when you grow from a certain space in your life you transcend something that you've struggled with, or maybe something you've been working on or something you've been trying to achieve, that it's not about moving on to the next level and forgetting everything that you've learned before. It's about integrating everything that you've learned. Not everything, but the the highlights or the major important lessons that come from the the worldview that you've experienced before, whether you think of it from a spiral dynamics perspective, or just becoming a more version, more mature version of your personality type, or uh, simply gaining experience and and learning the the ways of life through gaining some some experience in your life. Now, I just um I've just started listening to the Personality Hacker podcast episode they just put out recently called Transcending Your Personality and Finding Your True Essence. I love this episode because it defines exactly where I am also. (laughs) So them, them and I are in complete simpatico and uh, it's really fantastic that we're in the same kind of thinking space, but they have, they have their own style and uh, we've done an episode together and uh, I recommend going over to listen to that episode. So the episode starts to touch on some ideas around shadow exploration and Doing some of the heavier work that involves a movement beyond personality. And I will let them explain that. So go listen to that podcast episode. It's not a prerequisite to listen to this, but it's sort of a nice supplement to what I'm trying to bring to the table in this episode, which is really talking more about the shadow work that is imperative to everyday life. And I think what's interesting about shadow work is that to do work that is a reflection of our inner selves is something we kind of have done in the past by accident, but in the ways that the world is emerging, especially with our ability to remain shallow on social media, it's getting harder to purposefully and intentionally do this kind of shadow work. And my personal goal and I'll define what shadow work is in a second. But my, my personal goal is to make shadow work as normal as the idea of meditation. Like everybody understands at least to some degree what meditation is. Whether or not you practice it is a different thing. How you practice it, why you practice it, what's the purpose of it for you is is you know different for every single human being at this point. But everyone knows to some degree what meditation is. And there are so many people that have no idea what shadow work is. And uh, speaking of which, I'm going to define it a little bit because I've, so I I recently have put out a uh, email for my email crew. And um, if you're not a part of that list, go to dopamine.life and subscribe to our email list because typically I'll put out my thoughts to my email list before I put them on a podcast or before I put them on a YouTube video. You'll get some of the more organized thoughts, some of the raw thoughts, around what I'm working on, where I'm at, and how to support you in your own growth as a personality. So, I. So, to describe what shadow work is, shadow is. Well, let's start with defining shadow. Shadow is the yang to yin. It's the other side of the coin. It's the the consequence of light. The inner unconscious depth that anchors onto our outer conscious simplicity of personality. It's a depth within us that is typically reflected back to us through the conscious actions of others, objects, or even our own psyche in the form of dreams or unconscious behavior. So it's like the monsters that we see in real life or in our past or the future, or the monsters we see in our psyche that are linked to unconscious. These are linked to our unconscious. These are showing us an unconscious attachment or judgment we're experiencing within ourselves. And while I use the word monsters, you know, the triggers may not necessarily be negative in nature as we may experience being heightened in a positive way as well in the form of external validation, an exciting environment or admiration. And that can trigger a whole series of things too. Right? So, The basically the discovery process of that unconscious attachment is called shadow work. Shadow work is the doorway to functional empathy, the catch and release of patience, joy, love, fear, despair, and other emotions. So shadow work is a passage to our full humanity to see how we and others are the same in essence. And this is not easy work. This is not simple work. This is not something that's going to be a magic pill by any means. You know, shadow work is a continual process, but shadow work is typically a process of empathy. It's a process of creative expression and it's a process of honesty, self-honesty and being really true to who we are and being honest about our experiences and being willing to dive deeper into what the raw emotion that we're experiencing is. So the ways that I've described it in this email is that shadow work is a process of layered awareness of emotional honesty due to the bravery of the uncovering process and the resulting expression through creative vocal or practical means leading to the full energetic flow and release. It's a freedom to feel an authentic emotion without self judgment by accessing the watcher or infinite self to simply notice how we feel, then express it habitually to release that energy through ourselves So what I mean by watcher and infinite self is this idea of like taking a step back and looking at yourself, just doing something or feeling something or thinking something and simply noticing it because oftentimes we bundle judgment with what we notice and it sort of just becomes our thoughts and we start, you know, kind of belittling ourselves or other people. And it it becomes this, um, becomes this complex interconnected node that can be separated. We just don't assume that it can be separated because we're so used to many people in our lives bundling those emotions together. And it really is an opportunity in doing this kind of work to start to think about how these things rely and live in separate places and being able to do that, to, to create a distance, not necessarily a dissociation, but just a noticing sort of like a parent watching a child do something. And noticing that they're doing something without saying, Hey, stop that, but just looking at them and paying attention. And we can do that within our in ourselves and notice what we're thinking, what we're doing, what we're feeling and how things affect us. And when we can take that and start to categorize that or catalog it in our mind, then we can start to separate those things from how they trigger us and how they affect us and how they, you know, make us react as opposed to respond. So, this usually starts as something shallow, but a self-reflective examination can reveal the shadow of that initial feeling. So, if you're experiencing anxiety, that can convey a hidden or withheld excitement of you know being wanting to let you know just let go. And feeling rejection can reveal a habit of rejecting. Self-consciousness can reveal an outward focus on others. A sadness can reveal anger that's really within that. And an anger is usually trying to cut through the noise. I can't, quote unquote, can simply mean I won't. External hatred can reveal a form of self hatred. And envy can reveal a denied greatness within yourself. All of these things can be extrapolated. They can be expanded. They can be, you know, we can come up with all sorts of other examples of these things. But for the most part, those are a couple of examples of how some of the sort of surface level emotions really tend to mean something else. And it's about being curious about what that means and being willing to walk into that darkness a little bit in a sense, shadow work, is the unveiling of authentic emotion behind the shallow emotion. And the acceptance of that authentic emotion leads to a liberation of the energy tied to that emotion. Many of us are tired. We're exhausted. We don't know how to like find the energy to get up and do adult things and just exist and, and get something done. But a lot of the energy that we have latent within us lives within these emotions that we have not necessarily explored. It's a lot of, weighted emotion that's anchoring us down and holding us into a inferior sense of self in a lot of ways, a very basic sense of self, very raw emotion, sense of self that we're maybe not necessarily allowing ourselves to feel to allow ourselves to work through. So that liberation of emotion, you know, some examples of that is that anger can lead to clarity, that fear may lead to present embodied awareness. That doubt may lead to an inquiring of intelligence, that jealousy leads to self-love. Uh, avoidance and denial leads to wonder and simple presence. This one I sticks out to me quite a bit because I kind of grew up being an atheist and now I don't subscribe to anything, but I basically was trying to avoid any sort of attachment and continuously denying stuff. And now I feel this greater sense of wonder and simple presence. Uh, sorrow can lead to care and connection. And then passion and grasping can lead to wisdom and effortless intelligence. And these are just a few examples. So how do we get from A to B? How do we get from a shallow sense of self, a shallow place of understanding our emotions or bundling our emotions? How can we start to extrapolate stuff in a healthy, continuous day-to-day kind of way? But one of those things is creative expression. One of those things is just getting into a daily creative practice. Molly does these really great doodle jams every day, um, which well, she does not once a week now, but she did them once a day during the the height of the pandemic and, uh, you know, which we're very much still in, but uh, she did it pretty consistently and it gave people a chance to like turn off their brain and really get in touch with their inner feelings and emotions and expressions. They just, you know, Sketch on paper and just draw and just make a mess. And it's not about making a pretty picture. It's not about showing anyone anything. It's just about raw emotional expression. And she's basically encouraging people to do shadow work to express and get in touch with your feelings. Not think about politics. Not think about uh, racial injustice. Not think about uh, you know abortions or anything that you might be like passionate about. It- it's about getting in touch with the raw realness of your humanity and taking that moment to do that. So doodle jams with Molly at the darling revolution on Instagram is one of those ways to do that. She also does these daily, um, mandala practices where she draws a mandala, which is a circle and then kind of just draws out what she's feeling amidst that. And, uh, those are some very powerful tools to be able to access and utilize to access some of your shadow self. So just sketching, drawing, making music, music for me is one of those things for me. It's more of an abstract expression, creating music and getting some of those emotions out in a raw, filterless, uh, wordless form for me and really feeling that. But there are some challenges with interpersonal dynamics sometimes that people feel when it comes to this kind of shadow work as well. And I feel like, uh, what we're about to tap into is going to be helpful for you, especially when it comes to the internet. There's a a couple of episodes ago I did um, something on the social dilemma and accessing our shadow selves. This is a part of that because we're doing all sorts of interpersonal connecting. That's a super shallow kind of connection. And it's leading us to make all sorts of assumptions about human beings, about their intentions, about who they are, about what they want from us and not giving ourselves enough time to get to know them, because if we take time to get to know them, we may see how much they are like us and not having enough opportunity to see how people are like us and how we are like each other. Then we're not able to really access more empathy and be able to see people for who they are behind just political sides or, Uh, affiliations or religious things or or anything that's part of a quote unquote team and us versus them in any kind of way. And we can start to look at the world and look at individuals and be curious about individuals because essentially by being curious about them, then we are unlocking and accessing the ability to be curious about ourselves. And if we can be curious about ourselves, then we can really get to a place where we can start to do meaningful, actionable, important work to build resources, to develop opportunity, to actually have influence in the future and be able to do something and not just stand in the way. So I want to read a little bit from the book integral life practice, which is a result of it's, it's credited to Ken Wilber, but it's a collection of voices that are basically of a very high graves level. And a lot of the stuff in this book is very helpful to, I'm actually going to get a physical copy of this book because it's something that I'm probably going to carry with me for a very long time and revisit over and over again, because there's only so much that I can extrapolate from this book with my current worldview. But it's been very helpful for me to take a different philosophy when it comes to understanding multiple systems, when understanding the idea of shadow work. And it really covers the idea of simple practices when it comes to mind, body, spirit, and shadow. And shadow is a place that is not as easily covered in the public consciousness. You know, we all know to eat better or go to, to work out whether or not we actually do that. We all know that we should, uh, that we're listening to podcasts and reading books and taking in some long form media, though we could improve that as well. And then a lot of us know what spirit work is. It's basically like praying or meditating or being, you know, with your own consciousness and letting some things float to the surface and shadow work is sort of an action step with what floats to the surface, right? It's taking the next layer of what floats to the surface of what we're aware of that's happening within ourselves and being able to do something with it and really understand it. And then in a sense, it's a, it's a consistent changing of our brain wiring. I think of it like those little nodes when we're doing, um, back in the day, there's the, the phone boards where you just kind of like change the the cords in and out and you're just like plug it in here, take this out, plug it into this spot. And that feels like that's exactly kind of what's happening with shadow work where you're accessing some things, you're looking at it and you're like, you know what, this actually goes here. This is what this means. This isn't this, this is this. And it's, it's funny because this, this podcast is like kind of broken into segments because I'm literally dealing with this right now. And in the midst of recording this podcast, it's actually fascinating because yeah, it's showing up for me. Whereas we just had a situation where Molly locked herself out of the car. She's about 30 minutes away. She went to go pick up the kids. And I just, I I kind of repeatedly once or twice uh, told her to like, not leave the keys in the car because sometimes it's like, Oh, I'll be out, you know, for a second and then I'll come back and it'll be fine. But I just, and sometimes the car locks itself because the cars do that after a certain time period, uh, sometimes, especially newer cars. And I just don't think it's a great idea. So I've reminded her of that. And the frustration that I felt is that I, I was initially angry at her for that. And then I went through a process that I'm basically going to explain shortly of, of taking a moment to think like, okay, why am I actually angry? And I was angry because I've been meaning to set up AAA for her. And I didn't do that. And I haven't done that. <laughs> and I'm kind of frustrated with myself for not having done that. So my anger is actually, you know, I, I would say my anger is a little bit valid towards her. Like I'm not angry at her, maybe disappointed, um, frustrated, but for the most part, my anger is really with myself because it really wouldn't be that big of a deal. If I set up triple a in the first place and then I could just, she can handle it herself. She don't even need to tell me anything. She could tell me when she gets home. And, So what I ended up having to do is that it would have cost me a hundred dollars to take an Uber ride down there to be in someone's, some stranger's car in the middle of a pandemic doesn't sound great. And having to deal with all of that. And basically I was in the middle of recording a podcast. So to stop what I was doing, all of that's frustrating. And again, it's frustrating, not because she needs me. I love that she needs me, but it's frustrating because I didn't plan ahead. And therefore, I'm actually mad mad at myself for that. And so to deal with that anger, I then just had to set everything up. I literally had to just, instead of saying, uh, doing the Uber thing and then being mad about everything and continuing to not set up the AAA, I just said, you know what, let me call AAA. Let me go handle this. Let me add her to the account right now. And there's a consequence for that, like because I had to pay the account in full, the renewal in full ended up costing $400 when normally the account just to add her is like $78 plus the $50 charge for the same day activation, whatever. And then I had to pay the renewal and it's $400 because my, my mom and my little brother are both on the account as well. So I told everyone and we got it all worked out. And basically at the end of the day, like now I feel a sense of relief. I feel a lightness because I got it handled. Molly just got it taken care of. She's got the keys. She's got the car, everything's taken care of. And now she has AAA. Now she's enabled. Now she's empowered to be able to do that for herself in the future if she needs to. And you know, everything's good. So I fixed it by being able to address my anger head on and say like, okay, what is it that I'm actually angry about? And what is it that I can do about this anger? Cause usually anger means an action like anger means that I need to go towards something and I need to gain some clarity. And for me to gain clarity is to, to make sure that basically everything's handled and everything's handled. So I feel better. <laughs> so I feel pretty good about that. So as a result of that, now I get to finish this podcast and I could do it in a different frame and I feel better. And we can continue on. So, uh, basically, what I want to do now is read a little bit from this book, Integral Life Practice, which I'll put a link to in the description of this podcast episode, so that you can check it out for yourselves. This is only just a tiny bit; it's a lot for me to read, but it's a little bit of what the book offers, and I think it's robust. I think it's wonderful, and I think it really allows for you to start thinking about this shadow work. If if you only read the book for this portion of it. Um, then I think, you know, you're getting a lot out of it and then you can start thinking about your own practices. And this is stuff that I'm going to keep talking about on the podcast because I think shadow work is important for the world at large for INTPs, those that I support because INTPs ourselves maybe have a hard time accessing these, you know, deeper emotions as well. So there's a lot coming. Things are shifting, things are changing, but in a very good way. Okay. So in the book, integral life practice, there are these gold star practices, which are, if you, if anything, you just skim through the book and look at some of these practices. These are practical things that you could do in daily life to start to add to your exercise routine, your meditation routine, uh, uh reading routines and shadow work type of Uh, creative routines. So this gold star practice is called the three, two, one shadow process. And this basically explains what I just did in the situation with Molly and I in the car. So I'm just going to literally start reading from here and uh, probably throw some, some thoughts in between. So first choose what you want to work with. It is usually easiest to begin with a quote-unquote difficult person to whom you are attracted or by whom you are repelled or disturbed, for example, a lover, boss, or parent. Alternatively, pick a dream image or a body sensation that distracts you or otherwise causes you to fixate on it. Keep in mind that the disturbance may be a positive or negative one. You can recognize the shadow in two ways. Shadow material. Either makes you negatively hypersensitive, easily triggered, reactive, irritated, angry, hurt, or upset, or it may keep coming up as an emotional tone or mood that pervades your life or makes you positively hypersensitive, easily infuriated, possessive, obsessed, overly attracted, or perhaps it becomes an ongoing idealization that structures your motivation or mood. Then follow the three steps of the process. So three is to face it. Observe the disturbance very closely, and then, using a journal to write in or empty an empty chair to talk to, describe the person, situation, image, or sensation in vivid detail, using third-person pronouns like he, him, she, her, they, their, it, its, etc. This is your opportunity to explore your experience of the disturbance fully, particularly what it is that bothers you about it. Uh, Don't minimize the disturbance. Take the opportunity to describe it as fully and in as much detail as possible. Then two, talk to it. Enter into a simulated dialogue with this object of awareness using second person pronouns, you or yours. This is your opportunity to enter into a relationship with the disturbance. So talk directly to the person, situation, image, or sensation in your awareness. You may start by asking questions such as who or what are you? Where do you come from? What do you want from me? What do you need to tell me? What gifts are you bringing me? Then allow the disturbance to respond back to you. Imagine realistically what they would say and actually write it down or vocalize it. Allow yourself to be surprised by what emerges in the dialogue. And then one is to be it. Now writing in or speaking in first person using the pronouns I, me, and mine Be the person, situation, image, or sensation that you have been exploring. See the world, including yourself, entirely from the perspective of that disturbance. And allow yourself to discover not only your similarities, but how you really are the the one and the same. Finally, make the statement of identification. I am X, or X is me. This, by its nature, will almost always feel very discordant or wrong, quote unquote. After all, it's exactly what your psyche has been busy denying, but, but try it on for size since it contains at least a kernel of truth. So this last step, the one of the three, two, one often has a second part in which you complete the process of fully reowning the shadow. Don't just see the world from that perspective momentarily, but actually feel this previously excluding feeling or drive until it resonates clearly as your own. Then you engage it. Then you can engage it and integrate it. To complete the process, let the previously excluded reality register not just abstractly, but on multiple levels of your being. This engenders a shift in awareness, emotion, and subtle energy that frees up the energy and attention that was taken up by your denial. You'll know that the process has worked because you'll actually feel lighter, freer, more peaceful, and open, and sometimes even high or giddy. It makes a new kind of participation in life possible. So this is me talking again, the personality hacker podcast that I'm recommending goes into a little bit of this process of, of, of how we need to kind of grow and develop in life. And it involves kind of like a clean up and grow up kind of process, like to f- focus on maturity and growth and to clean ourselves up and then go through some of these other processes of taking care of ourselves. And that's really what shadow work is, is this continual process of taking care of ourselves, even if we are dealing with other quote unquote other, you know, it's, it's almost like a way of dealing with personal xenophobia in a, in a large sense. Um, But, but more than that, it's about looking for the stranger within us and being able to access that. So there's a few samples here that I'll, I'll reference. So sample number one is Phil visits his childhood friend. So he goes through three. And three is face it. I'm dreading going to visit my childhood best friend. The last time I visited the whole scene with him and his family and his wife and family really got on my nerves. He's such a wimp. His wife runs his life. He's got a super safe, secure and dead end job. He's not drinking from the cup of life and letting the juice run down his neck. He's never feeling the wind through his hair. If he'd just walk on the wild side once in a while, he'd be twice as alive. He's betraying himself. It makes me sick. It drives me nuts to be around him. Now two is to talk to it. Phil says, why do you let your wife make all of the decisions? Joe says, I don't, but I respect her perspective. Phil says, why are you satisfied with your grade B dead end job? Joe says, Hey, it's good. Honest work. And I enjoy it. Phil says, why don't you consult or form your own company? Joe says, I prefer what I've got. It's more secure and takes less work. What's wrong with that? Back and forth, Phil continue uh, continues exploring. And what comes out is that Joe wants to be safe and secure and not have dramas in his life, whereas Phil believes in taking risks and pushing the envelope and going for the max. Now we go through one is to be it Phil becomes Joe. Phil says, I want safety and security and smooth, predictable life and a smooth, predictable life. Reowning the shadow, Phil realizes he's disowned his own needs for safety and security so much that he's easily triggered by Joe's qualities. He, like everyone, has needs for both sides, thrills, aliveness, risk, passion, intrigue, bigger rewards on one side and safety, security, predictability, comfort on the other. Having disowned one side, he can become more whole and make conscious choices that take the whole spectrum of values into account. This usually takes the form of both an insight and an energetic shift. Phil may go on to more deeply understand and reintegrate his need for safety and security and thus feel freer to make new choices in his life. He may feel a new kind of compassion and empathy for Joe. He may realize, for example, that his idealization of the swashbuckling father he lost when he was just 12 has cast a shadow over over other important parts of his inner world. And he may even have new ways of coping with his life challenges. For example, he might realize that he he can gratefully enjoy Joe and his family for a day and a half, and that he wants to stay in a hotel for the rest of his stay. As to avoid an overdose, it might include all of these possibilities, and it might be nothing more specific than a relaxation of his previously triggered reactivity. Version number two, sample two, Kathy gives her power to Bill. So three is to face it. I first met Bill through an online dating service where I specified that I was looking for a very intelligent man. I felt an instant pull towards Bill after reading his bio, professor at the University of Chicago with two PhDs, one in theoretical physics and the other in philosophy. During our first couple dates, I hung on Bill's every word, totally enamored of his range of knowledge and insight. The more he talked about black holes and M-theory, Kant and Kierkegaard, the more I felt attracted to him. I've been seeing Bill for about three months now, and I'm beginning to notice something that really bothers me. I lose my voice when I'm around him. He knows so much about so much that I don't know what I can contribute to the conversation. He's already so smart that there's just much... There's just not much he could learn from me. I still owe spending. I still love spending time with Bill because he's such a brilliant guy, but I'm not sure if he feels satisfied with our conversations. Number two is to talk to it. Kathy, do you enjoy spending time with me? Bill says, of course I enjoy spending time with you. That's why I've wanted to see you so much over the past few months. Kathy says, but our conversations bore you. You don't learn anything new from me. Bill says, on the contrary. Kathy, I see you as one sharp lady, (laughs) which I I love that sentence. you've You've learned more than you think from starting your own business and building it from the ground up. It takes more than luck to run a company as successful as yours. I've certainly never done anything like that. And I learn a lot from listening to you talk about it. Kathy says, but you don't notice how timid and agreeable I am around you. Bill says, just because I've spent over half my life in school doesn't mean I'm right about everything. I invite you to challenge me, disagree with me, and speak your mind. I greatly value independent thinkers and unique perspectives, and would love to hear more of your views, especially if they're different from my own. And then number one is to be it. Kathy becomes Bill. Kathy says, I am intelligent. I have valuable perspectives to contribute. In both cases, this is me talking for a second. In both cases, they've resulted in just a simple sentence or two that, says to themselves what they're experiencing. So for me, it's like, I was angry that I forgot to set up the AAA. And I was angry that I wasn't responsible to handle that and make sure that Molly is safe. Whereas my initial reaction was that, why isn't Molly responsible? and <laughs> Why isn't she being safe? But I'm really re- mad at myself for that. And, you know, there's a degree of, of wanting to make sure she's okay. And we're going to have conversations about that, but really it is about where my anger was misplaced in that moment. So for Kathy reowning the shadow somewhere in her past, Kathy learned that displaying her intelligence around men was not okay. So she disowned and hid her own intellectual capacity. In this case, Kathy's shadow was a positive quality intelligence. She projected her intelligence onto bill. Kathy felt such a strong initial attraction to bill because she was shadow hugging, quote unquote. Her infatuation was not just with bill, but also with her disowned intelligence through the three one process. Kathy reclaimed her own intelligence. This occasioned a reassessment of her whole self image, a process she pursued by journaling actively for the next several days. As she came to terms with this insight, she felt more grounded and less prone to give away her power to others. After taking a short break from Bill, she decided to continue the relationship, but she no longer found herself idealizing Bill's intelligence, as if she needed to fill a void in herself. She felt much more self-respect, and on that basis, she could see his egotism and foibles and appreciate him as a peer and a multidimensional human being. Sample number three is that Tony meditates with a monster. Shortly after his divorce, Tony begins to have horrible nightmares that recur many times each week. Every nightmare features the same grotesque, grotesque, grotesque monster with sharp teeth and cold, slimy skin who relentlessly stalks him through various dreamscapes. The vicious monster hates Tony and wants to kill him right then, right when the monster is about to ensnare him, Tony wakes up sweating in the darkness, terror pulsating through his body. Tony, a longtime meditator, takes the the issue to his meditation teacher, who advises him to meditate on the fear associated with the monster. Over the next several months, Tony follows his teacher's instruction, witnessing the fear, feeling into the fear, relaxing into the fear, so that it may uncoil and quote-unquote self-liberate. The idea is that when Tony allows his mind to relax completely and quote unquote, just be the coiled up contracted energy in his emotions can be released. And this thus liberated to be used more freely after months of diligent practice, the nightmares remain someone loud in my hallway. (laughs) After four months of diligent practice, the nightmares remain the same. And in some instances they intensify for Tony, the monster is still scary as hell and still intent on killing him. Tony decides to practice the 321 process in addition to his regular meditation. So here's an excerpt from one of his 321 process sessions. Three is to face it. It's almost as though I'm inside a computer. Flashing lights and techno contraptions surround me. It feels like a harsh, foreign, and unnatural environment. I sense something is pursuing me, stalking me as if I were helpless prey, glancing over my shoulder. I catch a glimpse of a tall menacing figure shrouded in darkness. I know this monster that hates me and wants to kill me. Fear grips my every muscle, every muscle in my body. And I awkwardly try to escape and stumble through this alien world. Yet, despite all my efforts, the killer gains ground closer, closer until it's almost on top of me. I scrunch my eyes shut at, as the fear completely paralyzes me. And the number two is to talk to it. Tony says, why are you chasing me? The monster says, because I hate you and I want to kill you. Tony says, why do you hate me and want to kill me? The monster says, because I'm so damn angry with you. Tony says, why are you angry with me? Monster says, because you're hateful and contemptible and deserve to die. Tony says, how does that feel? Monster says like a roaring furnace of rage. Tony and the monster continue to explore the monster's feelings and experience. The number one is to be it. Tony becomes the monster. Tony says, I'm freaking angry. I'm seething with rage and fury and I want to kill. (laughs) That's my monster voice. I could probably do a better job, right? Let me try that one more time. I'm freaking angry. I'm seething with rage and fury and I want to kill. It's pretty good. Um, I'm okay with that <laughs> reowning the shadow through practicing the three-two-one process. Tony realized that a fierce anger lurked behind his fear after his divorce. He had dissociated with his anger and into a split off shadow element, which showed up in his nightmare as an angry monster only by reowning his anger. Could Tony reclaim his shadow repression and free up the power of a more integrated self. He realized he's been subtly depressed for several years and Tony had felt depleted since he had been continually depriving himself of the raw energy of the primary emotion he told, he's so totally denied. He started exercising more vigorously at the gym, especially enjoying a kickboxing class there. He also found a good therapist with whom he worked to recapture and channel the raw energy of his being. Meditation alone couldn't do it. Tony did an exemplary job of witnessing his fear during his daily sittings, but the fear itself was an inauthentic emotion, a symptom of the primary emotion, which was anger. Tony could have witnessed his fear for 20 years, as many people do, and the primary repression, anger, would still be in place. Without owning this authentic emotion, Tony's anger would be projected to create monsters all around him, which would bring up fear in him which is really fear of his of his own anger, not fear of the monsters. And while he would get in touch with that fear and think he was transmuting that fear, he would never con- uh, contact or liberate the primary and authentic emotion, which was anger, the root cause of his nightmares and terror. So failing to work with the actual mechanism of dissociation, one to two to three, and therapeutic ownership, three to two to one, meditation becomes a way of Uh, the way to get in touch with your infinite self while reinforcing the inauthenticity in your everyday finite self, which has broken into itself into fragments and projected some of them onto others. So there's a quick one minute module that you can do instead of doing that, because a lot of what I've just described is like more intense years long, weeks long work. And really just this, I mean, this sounds like a lot, but it's like an introduction to the idea of it and letting you know that really the core of it is that, you know, there is a reward for going through the darkness. There's typically this feeling of freeness and openness and being able to harness it into a productive, powerful, lovely energy in some way, shape, or form and reclaiming reowning is, is the word that they've used here. Reowning the shadow self, I think is really the important part. So, but there are smaller modules that are in this, uh, called a one minute module that if you don't have a lot of time in your day and you want to make sure to get in like a little bit of shadow work, body work, mind work, spirit work. That this is the one minute version of the three, two, one shadow process. So you can do the three, two, one shadow process anytime you need it Two particularly useful times are right when you wake up in the morning and just before going to bed at night, once you know, three, two, one, it only takes a minute to do the process for anything that might be disturbing you. So in the morning, first thing in the morning, before you get out of bed, review your last dream and identify any person or object with an emotional charge. Face that person or object by holding it in mind. Then talk to that person or object or resonate with it. Just feeling what it would be like to, to be face to face. Finally, be that person or object by taking its perspective. For the sake of this exercise, there is no need to write anything out. You can go through the whole process right in your own mind. Last thing before you go to bed in the evening, choose a person with, who either disturbed or distracted you Uh, disturbed or attracted you during the day in your mind, face him or her talk to him or her, and then be him or her as described above. Again, you can do the three to one process quickly, uh, quietly by yourself, anytime you need it day or night. So now we're going to dive into like some, some more advanced forms of shadow, which are the lighter shades of shadow work. And I hope you're still with me. This is a long episode because I want to go into this all. I think I want to share like the full depth of what's in this section of this book and, um, you know, encourage you to go explore yourself. So the next part of this is the lighter shades of shadow. So there are several different uh, types of shadow that exist for most of this chapter, chapter, we focused on the main, one of the main types, the repressed Mm -hmm. unconscious shadow, the drives feelings and needs that were so threatening to our consciousness that we've repressed our awareness of them. This shadow material is the source of projections, both negative and positive. The work of shining light on it never ends. Another kind of shadow is also worth mentioning. It's the shadow of our emergent capacities that we have not yet owned or inhabited. This is the shadow cast by higher parts of ourselves that want to come down and be lived with us, lived by us. Uh, Often our conditioned identity doesn't allow for aspects of our deep, unique calling and capacity. We keep these out of our awareness in shadow. Certain kinds of growth can't take place until this repression is relaxed, letting us know ourselves and showing up fully as utterly unique individuals. So put another way, sometimes our highest intelligence, intuition, and capacities don't fit our images of ourselves. In this type of situation, we function in ways consistent with old fixed identities, unable to responsibly integrate and incarnate our highest potentials and awarenesses we're stuck being a lower self than we're really supposed to be. It's important to recognize that sometimes the shadow can hold, can hold not just quote unquote low or primitive aspects of the psyche, but also some of the highest evolved aspects. Be aware of this possibility. And when you recognize it in operating in you find the clarity and courage to choose to live your highest capacities and the afterward, the unique self, uh, the book will discuss Uh, the process of opening up your own special dynamism and purpose, both of those kinds of golden shadows represent a golden opportunity for growth. Kind of like what I'm talking about with like dynamic personality. For example, some people may have a high capacity for leadership, uh, but they dislike that aspect of themselves that want to be in charge. It's too aggressive, masculine, self-assertive. And besides who are they to tell other people what to do? Because they associate leadership with perceived negative qualities of control and dominance, they've created a golden shadow in themselves. They may admire the leadership capacity in others while resenting their own greater power. By exploring a 3 2 1 process, they may come to their own desire to be a leader, which might also be the cutting edge of their own practice and growth, a quote unquote golden shadow, which, if re owned, could be a transfor- transformative gift of visionary light. So the next section here is about the strange logic of the psyche in, in doing shadow work. It's important to account for some, for the sometimes strange logic of the psyche. The deep psyche often responds to the opposite image of our shadow parts in which the same way that it responds to the shadow parts themselves, we can become activated, agitated, frozen, disoriented, or withdrawn not just in response to the presence of the parts of ourselves we can be, we have denied our shadow, but also in the present presence of their mirror image or emotional opposites. In the first example, Phil had disowned his needs for safety. And so has, so his relatively timid childhood friend, Joe triggered his shadow element in him. These same disowned needs might have been triggered again, albeit differently, if Phil was confr- confronted by someone quite the opposite of Joe. Say a different friend, Raul, an extreme daredevil. He might feel that his own courage, wildness, and intensity were dwarfed in comparison. If he then did the 3-2-1 process on Raul, this, might, this wild person, he might have ended by saying, Life is about intensity and aliveness, or it is nothing. I care nothing for safety and security. And this would have touched an important psychological truth, but the inverse, the denial of safety needs at which Phil arrived in in the original example, might have been even more deeply revealing. So thus, at the completion of the 3-2-1 process, as you try on whatever originally triggered you, let your intuition notice whatever disowned parts of yourself you can mostly deeply recognize. Sometimes they may show up in what seemed to be the opposite of the feeling with which you began. So transmuting your authentic primary emotions, shadow work is important, but it's often just the first step in clarifying our emotional, emotional lives. Once you've done your shadow work, you're no longer lost in secondary inauthentic emotions. You have an opportunity to creatively reclaim and use the energy of that primary authentic emotion. Technically speaking, this is not true quote unquote shadow work, but it is very often the next appropriate step in practicing with emotions. The raw energy of your authentic primary emotion is an expression of the primordial primordial energy of your being. All of it is essential and necessary to your wholeness. If your emotions are apparently quote-unquote negative ones, such as anger, fear, or grief, it may seem that they are only sabotaging your effectiveness and poisoning your mind and heart. It is common to think that such emotions need to be eliminated. However, this is not a realistic option. The effort to quote-unquote get rid of negative emotions only tends to drive them into the shadow. That was the problem in the first place. A more fruitful approach is to transmute these emotions into their pure and essential energy for those for expression and release. This simple five step approach conveys the essence of the traditional spiritual practice of transmuting negative emotions. So, number one, what you are feeling and how this shows up in your body, both physically and energetically. Two, relax the tendency to judge, suppress, or otherwise react to it, and just allow it to be what it is embracing it with awareness. Number three, if your emotion is about someone or something, relax your relationship to the object. Let the emotional energy be there. Notice that it is arising within you rather than happening to you. As in quote unquote, she makes me feel this way. Relax into full responsibility for your emotional patterns and energies. Number four is to feel the energy of your emotion and the situation or relationship in which it is arising. Breathe and allow the energy of the emotion to flow. Notice how that can take place constructively rather than destructively. Take several breaths and notice how the emotion changes as it is channeled and circulated. Five, pay attention until you recognize the transitory nature of the emotion and allow its raw energy to self-liberate like water boiling into steam as free, unobstructed, positive expression. So the essence of this process of the acceptance and allowance of the emotion, which relaxes the tension and resistance surrounding it, uh, then let the emotion show itself to you. Let it reveal the liberated, unobstructed, and awakened expression of its raw energies. Consider, for example, the transmutation of anger. This is great energy behind anger. If it is liberated into its pure, authentic essence, what does it become? Often it reveals itself as the energy and commitment to discriminate and penetrate, to cut through confusion into clarity. Sometimes it is the energy and will to change what needs to be changed. Emotional energy, such as anchor, need not disappear. In fact, it can be a valuable resource in service of compassion and freedom. So for ongoing emotional transmutation, emotions are deeply habitual. Habitual. After you have transmuted an emotion, you will sometimes find yourself falling back into the same old pattern. The newly revealed emotional energies need to find new ways to organize themselves. To transmute emotions successfully over time requires persistent practice. They will self-liberate, apparently completely, only to rise again at a later time. There's always no- noises in the background. I, I could edit that out, but I'm not going to. <laughs> so, okay, I'll start back over at the top. They will self-liberate apparently completely only to rise again at a later time so that you'll have to work with them again. Lasting results require patience and persistence with practice over time. You may notice how quickly and powerfully your emotions respond to negative experiences. And you may be amazed to discover that with the conscious practice, even such visceral emotions will naturally self-liberate. As your practice becomes more natural, you'll have more energy, insight, and skill in working with challenging emotions and energies in your life. So how the transmutation of emotions fits together with shadow work is that in the shadow work process, what was it or you is realized to be disowned a disowned part of the I. So, as in I, as in the letter I, as in the self. In the process of transmuting emotions, these dimensions of the I are witnessed by the I am. In the process, they are released and no longer identified with. Instead of having your emotion. So, how the transmutation of emotions fits together with shadow work is that in the shadow work process, What was it or you is realized to be disowned, to be a disowned part of the I, the self, the you in the process of transmuting emotions, these dimensions of the I are witnessed by the I am In the process they are released and no longer identified with instead of your emotions, having you, you have them. So instead of shaping the I, they become mine. In other words, inauthentic secondary emotion transforms into authentic primary emotion, which transmutes into awakened transcendental energy. So basically the idea here is that what was it becomes I and what was I becomes mine and is witnessed by your essence, by who you are as a person, which I know is complicated. It involves a whole series of things, but you know, at least you're getting introduced to the idea. Um, and I think there's one little other section. Yes, we're coming toward the end here. I know this is long, but I appreciate you sticking around for this. So evolving your relationship with emotions, the process of transmuting emotions together with shadow work offers the opportunity for extra spaciousness in relationship to your emotional life. This spaciousness makes it possible to relax and experience your feelings directly. You can be curious and investigate them. You can trust that the process will be liberating rather than just painful. Valuing the raw energy of your emotions, you can work with them, knowing they will eventually open from their contracted expression into their authentic, free, and awakened expression. You can be confident that when this happens, you will be empowered. The tremendous energy they contain will become usable as additional vitality, awareness, and growth. So the three, two, one shadow process and transmutation transmuting emotions are inherently powerful and valuable practices. The benefits that follow from practicing them can change the whole climate of your inner experience, dramatically speeding up your growth and enriching your life. Most people are very afraid to experience some of their own feelings. This fear holds them back from being fully present from life. This can change when you become confident that quote unquote, scary feelings conceal an opportunity to become more alive and powerful. Successfully doing this work not only frees that energy that was previously bound up in shadow emotions, but it also provides a realistic basis for a rich, compassionate relationship with your own emotional life. The fruits of these emotional practices can be seen in many forms. The willingness to allow and experience more of life directly, including what were formerly difficult feelings, more aliveness and empowerment where you were formerly numb and afraid the ability to be fully present in emotionally charged situations, sincere openness and relaxed curiosity about shadow emotions, an inner atmosphere of self-acceptance and self-compassion, a lessening of the tendency to become emotionally hijacked and thus the ability to see life more clearly. So I think that's the end of what I've got here. Cause there's actually, you know what? No, We're almost, okay. I can read this last section because It's also important, (laughs) but but you get the idea there is that like emotions are not a scary thing. It's okay to feel them because there are rewards on the other side, integrating light and dark spirit and shadow. So we can now begin to draw some conclusions regarding the shadow, as well as make a couple of crucial connections between shadow work and other aspects of integral life practice, specifically spiritual practice and meditation. So to face the shadow or it will find a way to trip you up means that spiritual teachers have, fought us, has taught, have taught us many beautiful lessons. Hidden among them is a darker, inadvertent lesson. Even spending many hours in high meditative states won't necessarily turn the shadow into light. The reputations of many otherwise wonderful spiritual figures have been marred by scandals involving sex, power, and money, engendered sometimes subtly and paradoxically by their own unconscious shadow impulses. You can see what you can see, what you, you can't see what you can't see. If I meditate and meditate very deeply, what can happen? I can watch my fear and sadness arise as objects in my awareness. I can relax my identification with them. I can often even discover the timeless present in which fear and sadness don't really matter. But unless I do shadow work, in addition to meditating, I probably won't truly face my shadow. This has become more obvious after three decades of diligent sitting by Western students of Eastern paths. This is a big difference between advanced meditators who have meditated, but neglected shadow work and those who have practiced both working with the shadow as in the three to one process brings the relative self back into wholeness It does not touch the infinite self or witness, which is untouched either way. Meditation helps us realize the quote unquote, the, uh, capital B S big self, (laughs) but it does not directly deal with the problems of the finite self An integral life practice does both. It heals the finite self by uniting it with its shadow and discovers the infinite self that has no self and no shadow since it is unmanifested emptiness in all conditions. Shadow work includes a vast, rich territory. So aspects of shadow work pervade integral life practice. Growth inherently requires us to tolerate discomfort, to see a more conscious choice. We must become aware of the unconsciousness of our previous habit or tendency. This involves at least a moment of unflattering self-awareness, which usually feels uncomfortable. Immature people reflexively or persistently defend themselves against unflattering self-awareness practitioners develop a different response that of relaxed curiosity and interest new awareness of unconscious and unproductive patterns and tendencies is actually very good news it means that new choices are possible choices that can be that can produce better results in our lives this core capacity to face our limitations and learn from them rather than responding with defensiveness and denial is essential in every module of integral life practice and shadow work is forever shadow work is both necessary and never ending no matter how aware you become there is no final perfecting of the psyche and every new moment the psyche can yet again slyly and invisibly play hide and seek with itself thus there's no end to the work of shining light into shadow but don't wait to become shadow free. You can always go beyond yourself right now, despite your shadows. It would be a mistake to get self-indulgently caught up in an endless hall of mirrors where all you see are warped reflections of the ego still doing the work matters. People who are working sincerely to reown their projections become mature, self-responsible and trustworthy. This is why shadow work is a core module. Psychotherapy successions may end, but shadow work never ends. We become clearer and clearer, more capable of shining with the light of awareness. As our shadow work becomes more subtle and profound, but wherever there is light, there is a shadow and we want to integrate both. So that was a lot of stuff, (laughs) but I think it's super important to think about a few of the core ideas here that shadow work is a healthy expression of human psychology, whether that's personal expression or personal exploration. And a lot of the times artists do shadow work and then put that into their work. So like doing this work, isn't just like a self-flagellating thing. This isn't just a, way to either make yourself look good or just feel good. But sometimes it does have those benefits of, of actual physical energy or productive energy or a sense of purpose and passion. I utilize a lot of my anger from growing up and having a lot of situations that I feel valid in my anger with to propel myself, to nurture INTPs, to nurture people, to grow dynamically, to nurture this kind of shadow work because I'm kind of, I'm mad at the world. I'm mad at the way things are because of either social media or how people are using social media. I'm, I'm mad about how we are basically being a shallow version of ourselves. And I'm mad at, I, that I, when I do that, I'm mad at myself for doing that too. So what I'm trying to do is put all of that anger energy into this podcast, into dopamine, into the resources that I create, because I do want to put that into productive change and actually do something about it. But it's involved a lot of personal psyche exploration and that I'm continuing to do all the time to dive into not only what it means for my mental health, but what it means for my personality, whether that's Enneagram or Myers-Briggs and my placement in spiral dynamics. And then being able to intercommunicate with people at different worldviews and trying to have more patience and trying to focus forward and not be freaked out about this situation with AAA, but to be able to take it as a moment to just be like, okay, this is what's happening. This is what can we do about this? How can we make the most effective choice and put my emotion, what I'm feeling into that choice to make an even better choice? because that anger that I was feeling in the moment, I wanted to put into something that was more productive. I wanted to cut through the noise so that this doesn't happen again. I don't want to feel that emotion again in that specific situation, even though I'm going to feel that emotion again in a different way, I'm sure. But that's part of maturing. That's part of growing. That's part of being a, a better person day in and day out is setting ourselves up for, you know, for for better days for better ways of processing and to get the rewards at the end of the tunnel because there there's there are rewards you know the emotions may feel scary to go into but they're just emotions it's just what we're feeling it's just what we're experiencing it's a part of our reality it's a part of our life and it's a part of our psyche and if we can get it take the opportunity to get to know ourselves in that way that we can have more respect and patience for other people experiencing that. And then they can do that for us and we can create a more compassionate space for more people in more places in more ways. So with all of that said, if you want to go to dopamine.life, check out our podcast, uh, other podcast episodes, articles, we have a YouTube channel. There's all sorts of links to programs and things there as well. Go ahead and explore the website. And in the description of this podcast, I will put a link to the book Integral Life Practice. If you want to dive a little bit more into this, if you've made it to the end here, congratulations. That means you're interested. So go ahead and pick up that book. And um, if you're looking to pick up a different kind of book, you can go to audibletrial.com slash dopamine and pr- browse the free eBooks there. You can get one free eBook with your purchase through the link. So audibletrial.com slash dopamine, D-O-P-E. A-M-I-N-E. And uh there's other things in the links in the description. Go ahead, check that out. Sign up for our email list to get, you know, first awareness of all the stuff that I'm working on and thinking about. And uh access to programs and other exclusive offers and things like that. So all of that said, I'm gonna go breathe and relax. That was a lot of talking. Uh and um I'm sure I'm gonna talk to Molly about all this stuff too. Uh, so you know, take care of yourself and breathe eat something good, take care of yourself and i'll catch you next time on dopamine. see ya.
0: i'm hayden and i'm an entp. i went into that session thinking, okay, i'm going to i'm going to figure out more about myself. great. and this will be fun. But it wasn't just that. Like, I really got my top blown. Like, I I look at myself completely differently now. I look at my relationships differently now. I'm in the process of figuring out how I work best as a creative person, as a business owner. I had to recontextualize a lot of my life, which was work, but it was the kind of work that gives you more clarity moving forward. And I, I thought I was doing it one way and that was the way I was supposed to do it. And then I sat down for a freaking hour session and, you know, my whole life is different after that. <laughs> I saw everything differently after leaving. There was, there was sort of life before this and life after, which I know sounds extreme, but it's not. That's, ex- that's totally true for me it's so satisfying to understand yourself it's a huge relief and like if our if our goal if if our life is about you know having a relationship with yourself so that you can experience the world in a true and natural way and like sort of live to your fullest potential this is so essential to that like if you don't know yourself if you don't know how you work best and how you connect best. How can you hope to feel free in your own life? If I hadn't had a session, I would not have been able to start that work at all. And I can't imagine my life without it now. Um, I think it would have taken me a lot longer to come to peace with myself and really start to appreciate who I am, what I make, how I make relationships with others, how I tend to that relationship, how I tend to myself. And it's incredibly helpful to be guided through that by a person with so much knowledge about what these types mean, how you can interpret that, how you can apply to your daily life these principles um, and just new ways of being. Um, So. I really appreciated it. I can't recommend it enough. I feel like it's all I've talked about with people since. I keep bringing it up. I don't even care if I'm annoying. (laughs) Um, It's just been a a really huge perspective shift for me.
1: Sign up for your own one-on-one personality profiling session at dopamine.life slash profiling session.
0: I'm Mo Rocca, and I'm excited to announce season four of my podcast, Mobituaries. I've got a whole new bunch of stories to share with you about the most fascinating people and things who are no longer with us. From famous figures who died on the very same day to the things I wish would die, like buffets, all that and much more. Listen to Mobituaries with Mo Rocca wherever you get your podcasts.